As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Football League show West Brom you've not got Ismail as Baggy's Biff Boss Sunderland keen on a Roy return Bournemouth go on a mad trolley dash we give some long overdue love to Bolton and look ahead to the basement battle in League 2 this is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Bauer It's Thursday, for us anyway, that means it's time to go through all the midweek news and notes from the EFL before looking ahead to the key clashes coming up this weekend. Joining me, Matt Davis-Adams, to do just that are EFL stalwart Sam Parkin. Hi, Sam. Hi, Matt. And from TalkSport, Ian Danter's back with us. Hi, Dance. Hello. Uh, right, we're going to start with some pretty unsurprising news. West Bromwich Shalbian can confirm that Valerian Ismail has today left his position as head coach. So went the statement released by the Baggies on Wednesday as they parted company with the man who they'd only appointed in the summer. Uh, Dance, we all saw this coming, but, but to do it two days after the transfer window shut seems um, less than ideal timing. Yeah. Yeah, they, they'd worked so hard to get Daryl DK in. Of course, then he got himself injured, who'd worked with Ismail at Barnsley last year. Then they get in Andy Carroll to maintain that philosophy and style of play. And then he's gone <laughs> after the defeat at Millwall. This has been in the post for some time, hasn't it? Uh, and it worked for Barnsley, the Ishmael style of football, because that's what being the underdog is all about, finding a way to get past the fancy dance of a particular division by playing a certain way. West Bromwich Albion aren't an underdog club. And the fans don't expect... The, the West Brom fans have only just got over Pulis Ball from a few years ago. And then suddenly along comes Ishmael Ball. Uh, even more rudimentary, you might say, than what Tony Pulis was, was, was put in their way. So he was having to work really hard to nudge their needle as to you know, whether they were going to change their opinion of him. And, well, nothing changed, did it? So, inevitable in one sense, but, yes, surprising in another, given the timing of it all after a transfer window. But, hey, football clubs, you've just got to love them, the timing of some of their decisions. They're not the only ones, Albion, are they? Uh, it's a big old clear out as well, as you'd expect the Athletic, the place to go to get the forensic detail on the situation. Changes at boardroom level too. CEO Zuki also sent packing, replaced by former Chelsea and Reading chief exec Ron Gourlay, who's been appointed in his place. It would seem, as we record on Thursday morning, that Steve Bruce is the man to come in to take his place. Uh, we'll be able to hear from Brucey shortly, but promoted four times from the Championship, Sam, a joint record with Neil Warnock, but but tainted by what's happened at Newcastle and, and you know the way that it's ended at a couple of other clubs for him. Are, are they getting the Championship promotion expert or, or are they getting the, the busted flush who Newcastle couldn't wait to get rid of? Probably somewhere in between, if I can say that, um, on the fence. It's a safe pair of hands, isn't it? It's not what I'd want if I was a West Bromwich Albion fan long-term, I wouldn't be enthused about it. Let's not get away from that fact. It's not an exciting appointment, is it? But at this stage of the season, do you take a gamble with someone unproven, someone who's at the infancy of their career, or do you do this type of thing when you're still well-placed? I probably think 
it's the most sensible route to go down um, right now, considering not Steve Bruce, but someone who's got that experience, considering there's still loads of games and, and points to play for. And I mean, it was, it wasn't a good appointment. It's easy with hindsight, Ishmael, but it was a style of football I'd never seen before, you know, before I'd seen Barnsley last year. It's very unique. Um, and you have to be able to mix it up, I think, at this day and age in the in the championship. You know, you have to have attacking midfield players who can drop into pockets and a centre forward who can link the play, a way of getting behind a, a low defensive line. You know, all those type of things, you have to be able to mix it up. And he and he clearly didn't want to do that. And I think that's why um obviously he's lost his job. But yeah, in in the short term, I think probably experience is the way to go to try and salvage the season. But I think West Brom need to, I don't, Dance probably knows the club better than me. They need a, a plan moving forward. You know, someone who can who can build, uh, build a, a brand, a, a style of football, a more flexible style, I would say. Mark Robbins is someone that I thought of when this job came up, you know, considering the work he's done at Coventry. Take him, take his backroom staff and, get him to try and implement what he's done at Coventry or over a longer period of time, someone like Darren Fletcher, I thought, you know, another ex-player, someone clearly highly thought of at, at Manchester United who could who could build something exciting. I think that's what the supporters have been lacking. Uh, but instead they've gone for one of the management old guard uh, in Bruce, it would appear. Uh, Steve sort of joins us now. You must be delighted to have uh, finally ticked off your, what, your last remaining West Midlands club? We've still got Walsall to go to. Hey, well, you know, it, it proves, and I, I push my nose into to make it more accurate. It just shows that I'm not that, uh, I'm not thin-skinned if I'll go to Birmingham and Villa and, and all the rest of it. But to be brutally honest with you, Matt, when when we get the real ball out and the, the tulips and the daffodils start pushing up, that's that's when you get to the tickly bit. And that's where we are right now. So, hey, light a candle for us. <laughs> Exclusive thoughts there, oh, potentially, from the uh, the new West Brom boss. In, uh, in, fairness, a... in fairness, though, Matt, he does still... Uh, he's, he's had a place in the Midlands for an awfully long time since he was a Birmingham player. So he, he there'll be a certain element of comfort that Steve will have working at a Midlands club. When he was at Hull, I, mean, I can't imagine, you know, what it was like traipsing between, you know, the, the, the northeast coast and coming back to the Midlands. So he'll be quite centred there. I gather somebody's seen him in recent times. He, he's been what, to watch a lot of cricket, obviously, in his downtime. He's looking healthy. He's looking rejuvenated. So whilst I understand the, the, the slight concerns, but... Um, <laughs> I'll forever thank him for what he did inside six months at Birmingham City back in 2001, 2002, taking over a squad that looked bereft of ideas. Next thing you know, we've won the playoffs. Yeah, and, and on a human level, nice for, for his last ride in management not to have been such a horrible, horrible end as it, as it turned out to be at Newcastle. A couple of games on Wednesday night in the Championship. Huddersfield beat Derby by two goals to nil. Moose Huddersfield up to fifth. Derby hamstrung after Richard Stearman got sent off after less than three minutes in this one. Uh, Sam, we keep sort of expecting Huddersfield to drop out of the playoff places. They, they got a big hand with that early red card and the deflected opening goal here. But, I mean, they've beaten arguably the form team in the division. So we ought to maybe stop dismissing them as, as a team who aren't going to finish in the top six. Yeah, quite, quite possibly. I still, you know, I still question whether they're going to keep on getting this rubber the green because I think they've been fortuitous in the last few weeks. Certainly that Stoke result was... They should have had a player sent off. Um, he went on and scored the goal, obviously. And then and then here they get a, a great slice of luck very early with Steeman getting sent off. And But I mean, it's it's difficult. It can be very difficult. He had to remain patient. I don't think he changed too much about the setup. They, they kept plugging away. He was aggressive with his substitutions last night. Um, Rhodes obviously come on and got himself a goal. So it is turning into one of the stories of the season, really, because even now, you know, in February... We're not, you know, discussing them as, as serious promotion contenders. So maybe we need to, but I just think in that in that chasing pack, there's probably a little bit more quality, um, you know, rather than Huddersfield. So I'd still be surprised, but it's been a brilliant season thus far. I was at Huddersfield last Friday when I watched that draw against 
Stoke, uh, Matt commentating on it, and um, it, it it took me back to that that Wagner season in the sense that 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 the change in personnel has been so huge at Huddersfield from last season to this. You know, obviously players like Jordan Rhodes have come back and whatnot, but um, it's the whole greater than the sum of its parts in terms of Huddersfield setup. I, I did enjoy watching Lewis O'Brien again, though. Um, when he's on his game, he can. He can be a match winner from central midfield for Huddersfield without question. That they, they do appear to have been the kings of the deflected goal just lately. Uh, Corrima's goal against Stoke was deflected, and as Sam mentioned, the opening goal uh, against Derby was deflected. So they they're getting the rub of the green, as you as you might say. Bit of a reality check for Derby though. Seven points off safety, having played a game more than fourth bottom Reading. Uh, and actually, Dance, double dismay for them on Wednesday night because Cardiff's victory uh, at Barnsley means Cardiff now nine points from trouble and actually only three behind Swansea. Uh, so it's been a brilliant week for, for them with the win against Forest too. I mean, they're, they're not quite safe, but that is a big old buffer that they've managed to get themselves over the space of a few days. Cardiff City, yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, Steve Morrison went in there, he's clearly got based on the the scuffles that happened at the at the end of the game at Oakwell in the tunnel area where um uh, the Barnsley coaching staff took a well a, a dislike to Steve Morrison just saluting the fans at that away end right by where the the, the tunnel is but the fact that Jordan Hugill straight in to defend his manager and he's only just arrived on loan just shows that there's a real togetherness it seems about this this Cardiff group um yeah, that is big news for, for Cardiff. But the fact that Derby County is still, even in the conversation about a potential survival bid, you wouldn't have expected us to have been having this conversation, you know, late November, early December. But the run they've been on, I mean, props to Wayne Rooney and that squad for even making us doubt whether they would just go straight down. So they're not done yet, Derby County. The, 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 I think that losing Stearman early on, obviously, um, uh, cause them a problem. But look, let's see. It, it, the championship is bonkers uh, and a derby survival would be just about the most bonkers thing I've ever witnessed. Keep my fingers crossed that it doesn't happen. Uh, on Tuesday, there were a couple of games too. Millwall and Preston drew nil-nil and that's all we need to say about that. What about Swansea nil, Luton one though? Um, Sam, I get the feeling that Nathan Jones isn't actually that keen on Swansea given his, <laughs> uh, his celebrations here. Yeah, the camera caught him sliding on his knees, I think was the start and a big fist pump up. Probably some some Swansea regulars maybe who just position themselves behind the opposition dugout and give plenty of verbals. So he gave them a little bit and then obviously still had the adrenaline, the ability to climb the stairs and the stand and some bizarre uh, chest pumping action. But... <laughs> Yeah, he's he's incredibly emotional, isn't he? I mean, Clarkie obviously knows him really well, so we speak about him often on the pod. I mean, he's so intense. He's so intense. I, I can't imagine, you know, what it's like for the players on a match day. And I wonder if he's like that from day to day on the training ground. But yeah, he loved this one. And, you know, I probably wrote Luton's chances off a few weeks ago. You may, may have to reconsider that because this is a brilliant result. Um, they lost once in the last um, two months. Won six out of the last nine. In all comps, just the one defeat at Sheffield United. Um, the squad is looking good. Squad players coming in. Osho played the last three at centre-half. He made 13 clearances in this game. So it showed defensively they had to be, um, you know, on it. And going forward, got four good options. You know, Onyedimma and Hilton started the game. Great work for, I think, just over an hour. Jerome and Cornet come on combined for the, a beautiful winning goal. And a great interview from uh, from Cornick, actually, after the game. Very open, very honest, lack of cliches for a footballer, very disappointed in him. <laughs> um, and just says things are brilliant at the moment. He was playing, you know, in a period where they were playing very well prior to his injury and he's come back and they're in even better form. So I think that just um, incentivates um, just how well things are going, really, for Nathan Jones right now. And you can't discount them from a playoff, playoff um, place. 
Uh, in terms of League One, we'll have a chat about some of the midweek games shortly. But the big story is the continual and growing links of Roy Keane to the Sunderland job. Uh, Dance. Anyone without the surname Johnson not want to see this? I mean, it's just it's just box office, isn't it? You got season three of Sunderland till I die. Just just waiting to be made now. Yeah, I'd actually want Charlie Methven and and uh, Stuart Donald to, to to get back involved again somehow, just to make it more more interesting. Well, Roy Keane to Sunderland is always it. That's a proper Marmite appointment, isn't it? And it that's been borne out by what we've seen and what we've heard discussed about even the potential for him going back there. If he's motivated to do it, then wow! I mean, it it, it could be exactly what some of those Sunderland players need, or. You can look at it from the other angle. Does this smack of the desperation of a Sunderland side desperate in this fourth season to finally convert and get out of this craziest ever League One season? I can't remember a League One season like this where there are so many chief protagonists trying to get those automatic promotion spots. He's going to rub some people up the wrong way, isn't he? Within seconds, uh, Gabby Ogbonlahor spoke about him on the radio uh, this week about how he fell out with him when he was coaching at Aston Villa uh, not so long ago. So some players will react in a positive way, an awful lot reacting completely the wrong way because he um, he's not one for euphemisms, he's one for direct confrontational approaches. Who knows whether that's what they need or not, but maybe the shock tactics could work in Sunderland's favour. Well, Sam, they've tried everything else, haven't they, to get out of League One? You, you might as well go for, for the nuclear option of just scaring players into promotion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a fair point, and I'm all for it, don't get me wrong, but I don't know, is there just something a little bit old-fashioned about appointing Roy Keane right now? You know, there seem to be a bit more direction about Sunderland and a bit more attacking flamboyance, flair, call it what you like, this season. So, I don't know. Is Roy Keane going to come in and want to play a four-four-two and want to rule with an iron fist? Yeah, probably will do. So it would put you know a number of more bums on seats. I think I said this about Jermaine Defoe, as would that, and it would be fantastic to watch. But what would Roy Keane know about League One right now? You know, in comparison to someone like Grant McCann, who was in it last season and has had great success so that that would be my reluctance as much as I'd love to watch the Netflix and love to hear the stories leaking out of Sunderland about how someone's banished because they were late for training um I think it would be more sensible you know right now to go for someone with more recent experience at the level well we'll find out how those talks go uh, you might know before us listener in terms of the games that took place five star Rotherham back on top of league one having done over doom Doncaster but why talk to Sam and Dance about that match when we could talk to a Miller man who was not only there but got on the score sheet yes Chiose Ogbeni joins the show next uh, Chiose great result and a goal for you at Doncaster earlier this week. You must be chuffed with that and to get back to the top of the league. Yeah, I'm, I'm delighted. Um, first of all, for the team. Um, you know, we've worked really hard all week and, you know, a lot of games Saturday, Tuesday. So we kind of feel the fatigue in the, in the camp and to put a, a five-star performance, as they call it, against Doncaster was um, overwhelming. And personally, on my personal note, I was happy, to, you know, to contribute. Um, I, you know, it's some. Scoring goals and getting assists is something I always want to do. Um, the new role, the right wing back role, kind of hinders me from that. But I tried my best to to, to offer myself and to to chip in, you know, help the strikers in with, in any format in any way I can. It's it's ridiculously competitive at the top of League One this season, isn't it? You got so many sort of established big name clubs there. Are, are you surprised at just how tight it's been? You, you know, you got yourselves, you got Wigan, you got Sunderland, Wickham. Any other number of teams you want to name, all up there fighting, not just for promotion, but for the title? Um, personally, I'm, I'm quite surprised in how tight it is. Um, you know, I, I expected I expected um, um, Wigan to be up there. I expected Wickham to be up there. And, you know, to see Sunderland, Oxford, MK Dons, everyone battling, you know, it's, it's a really tight league. It's a very difficult league. It's the hardest league. It's the hardest league one um, year that I ever, you know, played in. And, um, yeah, I'm quite surprised. And, you know, I say all the time um, how important it is to to go out and put on a good result. Um, and at this at this crucial time of the season, 
it's all about really getting the results, if I'm being honest. Um, and that, that's what we go out to do. We go out to, to you know, to make it difficult for the opposition. Uh, we kind of create a high-intensity atmosphere. So that's that's what you have to do at this time of the season, and that's what good teams do. Of course, the manager is a massive part of your club, isn't he, Paul Warren? He's, he's sort of part of the furniture. What, what's he like to play for? It is quite... He's a... It is enjoyable, uh, also difficult, because the demands are quite high for you know every player on the pitch, and even 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 those who are not on the pitch. You know, training is quite intense, and that's how you know that's how we play. So it is quite you know um, taxing in terms of um, you know the requirements you know to play for Paul One, but it's rewarding at the same time. And you know when you're winning games and you're top of the league, uh, all those running sessions you do throughout the week, you know preseason, it, it does seem to pay off and. Um, as I said, it is difficult, but also quite rewarding. Did he have to talk you into playing wing back then? Is it, that's a relatively new thing. Yeah, obviously. Um, he knew I was a winger and um, the, the system changed. But as players, you have to adapt to what the manager wants to do. And as much as talking me into it, he helped me more into that position. Um, you know, he you know, showed me clips and you know what he requires uh, as a player in that position. So I didn't just suddenly become this right wing back that I, I am. You know, they spend a lot of time, you know, Matt Hampshire, the coach, spent a lot of time working on my crossing and, you know, decision making in the final third, especially as a right wing back. I have to make better decisions because, um, you know, if you give away the ball, the opposition is counter-attacking. So, you know, we ha- we spent a lot of time, in, in, you know, trying to learn this role in pre-season. And as you know, as you said, um, you know, I'm so happy that it, um, it's paying off now. And it helps, I suppose, as, as a wing-back if you've got somebody like Michael Smith there to aim your crosses at because you know that a high proportion of them are going to get converted. Yeah, Michael's a special player. You know, he's, a, he's a crucial part of what we do. Um, you know, he's, a, he's like a focal point of our team. Um, we need him. We need him fit. And, um, you know, we, we depend on him a lot. And he's a top player. He's a, you know, he's a really... He's a, he's, I, in my person, he's one of the best players in the league, uh, one of the best strikers in the league. And we're just truly blessed to have him because he works so hard, and he's not just an aerial threat. You know, you know, for for a big man six foot six foot four, you know, making runs into channels, holding up play, it's uh, it's, it's amazing to have. So you wing back this season. I'm, I'm sure you you're pleased to be playing regularly, given how much of last season you missed with with that hamstring injury. How how quickly can you put that out of your mind when you come back? Because obviously, in your position, you probably do more sprints, more running than anybody else. You've got to have full faith in that that hamstring is healed. Yeah, I think um, as well um, having having the preseason um, did help because I was able to you know you know to work on it and you know as as right wing back role. As a winger, you know, you're all guns blazing. You're just running into box. But right wing back role, you know, I feel like you have to be more patient in your runs and you're more calculated. But um, I think as well, it's helped me condition my body. Um, you know, week in, week out playing at, at that role, you know, clocking high speeds and a high um, high mileage in distance. It's helped me condition well, especially come this, you know, this term of the season. And I do a lot of stuff in the gym to, to make sure my hamstring is, uh, is strong and, you know, the physios do look after me. So I, I am well, I'm in a great environment where I'm well looked after and, you know, I have the right people around me in terms of coaching and, you know, the sports scientists and what I need to do and to keep me healthy. I'm sure everybody listening is really enjoying that beautiful cork lilt to your voice. Um, <laughs> is it right that you were, you were a prolific Gaelic football player in your, in your youth and you, you actually had a decision to make as to what sport was going to be the one for you? Yeah, prolific would be quite generous, but yeah, um, <laughs> Gaelic football is something that I, you know, I played at through, through, throughout my childhood, and um, I was told by you know some really good um, Gaelic football um, ex players, former players, that I could really you know push at the sport. Well, fortunately for them, you know, fo- you know, soccer, football was something I really, I really wanted to pursue, and um, they just, you know, it was unfortunate I had to lose out, but. Um, they speak to me now and um, they're quite happy for my decision. But it was, it was something I really enjoyed in school. I just, um, it's just, I, I just knew that, you know, soccer was something I wanted to give my all. I, I grew up watching Cristiano Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, all these players. And I, you know, that was something I really wanted to do. And um, fortunate for them, I, I chose, I chose them to uh, follow my dreams. You played against Ronaldo, didn't you, in World Cup qualifying? So, I mean, I guess that was a dream ticked off. Yeah, it was amazing, you know, to I remember walking down the uh, the tunnel in the Aviva Stadium and just looking at him, you know, just looking what kind of, you know, athlete he is. And, you know, you read so much about him, you watch him on TV, but to stand there, you know, 
um, across him in, in the tunnel. It was um, honestly, it was a dream come true to share the pitch with him. And that's something that no one can take away from me. Um, you know, I've worked, you know, obviously I've, I didn't get, I didn't get there by, um, you know, being, being so lucky. But um, you know, I, I do believe I've worked hard and I obviously at the same time, I know I needed people to believe in me. And I'm just grateful that I could um, share the pitch with him. Right, Jose, we always finish with a really super tough question. We, we uh, really appreciate your time today. We're going to put you on the spot now. So you're born in Lagos, brought up in Cork. It begs the question, what's your preferred dish, jollof rice or Irish stew? Uh, <laughs> that is, a, uh, unfortunately, uh, it'll, have to, it'll have to be jollof rice. Even my... Uh, um, even my 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 Irish friends and you know, my girlfriend and their family they seem to prefer uh, jollof rice as well. So I do I do believe that the 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 West African dish does uh, bring a great taste. So it will have to be jollof rice. Fair enough. Well argued. And listen, thank you so much for your time today. All the best thank for the you. rest of the season. Thanks, Matty. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. Cheers, old Benny there. Uh, meanwhile, up the Aris, shouted Gillingham fans, presumably, as uh, Neil kicked off his spell as Jill's boss with a win. Dance, we spoke about this uh, on Monday when you weren't with us. Were you, were you as surprised as we were that the, the man who was more recently Cardiff manager has had to go all the way down to the very, very foot of League One for his next job? Well, he's been very keen to get back in, Neil, quite quite clearly. And there were enough stories about other managers having been offered it before him, Mark Bircham was uh, meant to have turned down the Gillingham job. But I don't think Neil would necessarily mind being uh, a few names down somebody's list uh, because I just think he wants to prove people wrong. I think he wants to show that the, uh, you know, his release from Cardiff was not what it should be. So, <laughs> look, he's got a win. So, and Gillingham were on a rotten run, an appalling run. Um, so, if he's the new manager bounce... I mean, who knows whether it's going to be enough for Gillingham in the in the long run, but he's a man that handles himself with a quiet dignity, Neil Harris, um, in slight contrast to his uh, permanent predecessor at the Priestfield. So we will see. That's a very different managerial structure to what they've had at Gillingham. So let's see whether it, it actually comes up trumps for them. But yeah, great start. Uh, at the DW Stadium, Wigan and Oxford drew 1-1. Let's hear a bit of how that game unfolded now. Now, as here comes Callum Lang into the area and drives it into the bottom corner and suddenly Wigan Athletic are level. Promising young commentator there, I'm sure he's got a, a big future in the game. Um, Oxford's fans already claiming gold of the season. Dance, you saw it live. Talk us through that unbelievable run from, from Mark Sykes. Yeah, he started just left-hand side of his own penalty area and the turn of pace with which he got past Gavin Massey at the start was good enough to watch but he motors all the way to just over the halfway line Cameron Brannigan gets involved and we know how talented he is and I'm delighted for Oxford that they've been able to hang on to him because I know he was coveted by a few clubs from higher up in the in, in the transfer window so Brannigan holds on to it Sykes continues his run it's fed back to him Skips inside a couple of players, left-hand side of the area, squares it across for Matty Taylor, who does superbly well to control a difficult, slightly bouncing ball and convert it into the back of the net. It was, I mean, Mickey Gray, who was alongside me on commentary, was applauding it. Uh, and you don't normally get co-commentators. I'm, you know, I've worked with Sam enough times. I've never seen him applaud anything in my life, <laughs> uh, apart from maybe when I get the teasing. But Mickey, he sat there applauding. And you could do nothing but eulogise about what a terrific move that was between Sykes, Brannigan and then eventually Taylor. Yeah, it was a brilliant goal. Uh, Wigan, just a point here. Tough next five games for them too. Sheffield, Charlton, Rotherham, Wickham and Sunderland. So maybe we're a little bit hasty in uh, anointing them as basically promoted. Uh, Sam, way back on Monday, you were at Fratton Park for Portsmouth 1, Charlton 2. Uh, put, a, put a bit of meat on the bones of the game for us, if you will. A really fast start from Portsmouth. I think you always get that at Fratton Park because the the crowd almost demand that and the tempo was very good from, from both sides. I think there's just such a lack of conviction in front of goal about Portsmouth right now. Such a lack of belief, a reluctance to shoot really. And they've obviously got um, Walker, Tyler Walker, who looked short on, on fitness more than anything and, and, and George Hurst who... Looks like he's got ability, but 
just not not gambling across the near post, just always kind of waiting rather than to anticipate. And that's what it looked like to me. So I thought once Charlton, to be honest, once Charlton got two goals ahead, I thought that was absolutely it. I thought they were pretty good on the night. Charlton used the ball well. Uh, Albie Morgan, very impressive. Corey Blackett-Taylor at left wing back, likewise as well. Him against uh, Marlon Romeo was a really good good battle throughout the piece. And it wasn't until Danny Cowley changed, brought on Jacobs and Curtis, that they got a catalyst. And throughout the evening, that's what I felt Portsmouth needed. They need someone to get them a goal, to produce something. And those two certainly gave him it. So it was a really grandstand finish. Uh, Portsmouth threw everything at Charlton, but Charlton got you know, over the line and, and got the maximum points, which was probably just about right. But I think moving forward, obviously food for thought for, for Danny Cowley in that some of his, his substitutes made a big impact and it looks like a team that aren't going to score many goals right now. It's been a, a season where they've had a solid foundation, but going forward, it's been it's been miles from good enough. Yeah, Mason Burstow is a player I've watched a couple of times at Charlton. I know that Chelsea have done a deal for him now, Sam, but he's gone back to the Valley for the rest of the season, which I think is that's very sensible. Having watched him, you and me saw him scoring the Papa John's against Milton Keynes to get the winner. He scored again in the ultimate defeat to Hartlepool in the quarterfinals. Is this a good move for him? Uh, I, 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 to A, the move to Chelsea and B, the fact that they've loaned him straight back for the rest of the campaign. I think it's a good move for him. I think like any player, when you're when you're hot, those those opportunities to move don't come around, you know, too often. So I mean, they, it's the only time they come around. So you've got to take that, you've got to take that chance. Um, I mean, Charlton aren't going to be in the promotion shake-up this year, or you know, hopefully for Johnny Jackson, not going to be looking over their shoulders. So he can play with a, a degree of freedom, get a little bit more experience. But they were very excited about him. So it's disappointing for the Charlton fans. But yeah, I mean, he's a player that was in non-league and Chelsea had a look at him then actually. And I think there was rumours about him moving there. Yeah, he's been very impressive. And um, it's just interesting. I was saying, you know, when we were doing the radio on, on Monday night, he seemed to play a handful of games now. And because the competitive degree of um, football now at the top flight these players get snapped up it used to be you know can you do it season after season can you do it at the higher level before a big club takes the plunge now I think you know if Chelsea don't do it one of the other big hitters in the Premier League would have done so it's all about getting a, a march on your rivals yeah it's a knock-on effect as well isn't it of Brexit and players not being allowed to move yeah. uh, from foreign clubs to, to English academies so it's only going to happen more and more over the next couple of years. Uh, one other news line from League One, Matt Bloomfield, the Wickham legend, has retired on medical grounds. That follows a, a serious concussion sustained in August 2021. We wish him the best in whatever he decides to do next. Uh, there was plenty of midweek action in League Two, although to be brutally honest, there, there wasn't much of note. Big win for Barrow at Northampton, Port Vale and Forest Green Rovers Drew 1-1. Uh, we'll talk more about League 2 later. Next today, we'll round up what happened in the transfer window. We all enjoy the sport we call the beautiful game. But since I've retired, I've discovered an ugly, even darker side to the sport we love. Join me as Jamie Redknapp investigates. Thanks, Jamie. We'll take it from here. Join Jamie Redknapp for Jamie Investigates, the football mockumentary series. Watch on Paddy Power's Twitter. This week, Jamie investigates people who still call the Premier League the Premiership. Do you know the truth? Paddy Power. 18 plus, Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. Right, I've had a couple of days now to digest deadline day. Nancy Frostick's been sorting the winners from the losers in the EFL in that regard over on The Athletic. We'll do something similar in audio form now. Uh, Dance, I mentioned it right at the start of the show, but that was quite the trolley dash from Bournemouth on the last day. Are they panic buying or, or are they just did they just see some bargains and think we've got the cash? Let's do it. No, it's easy. It's easy to look at it and see it as as, as desperate measures. We've seen championship clubs in the recent past make these huge financial gambles based on the fact that they believe it's going to pay off for them and ultimately promotion is going to arrive. You think back to what 
uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers did when all those players came in, you know, Jota came in and Neves and the big money spent by the Fosun group. And it paid off because, of course, you know, Nuno got them up automatically. Um, Villa tried it and very nearly came unstuck until the Egyptian money came in after the, the failed playoff bid uh, against Fulham. So a club like Bournemouth, with an 11,000 capacity, admittedly with a man in Maxim Deming putting the money in, it does strike me as a massive old gamble. If this doesn't result in automatic promotion, if this just results in a playoff place, then that's a real concern for me because we saw what happened to Bournemouth last year in the playoffs. Yeah, but, but I mean, where are they all going to play? How many of these signings, more Dembele, Phillips, Woodman, Laird, who makes way? Who's been playing that badly for Bournemouth that they get jettisoned? I don't think anybody's been really that poor in the cherry shirt to to, to lose his place. But, wow, uh, that was one hell of a gamble from the cherries, I think. What do you think, Sam? Dembele and and Kiefer Moore probably go straight in, don't they? Todd Cantwell's a gamble. Nat Phillips looked all right for Liverpool next season. As Dan says, are are these all players for the here and now? Presumably they are. That's why they bought them so late in January. I'm not sure any of them go straight in, to, to be honest. They're all capable. Uh, they'll drip feed one or two in maybe for this weekend or for the next fixture. But, you know, they've got quality in abundance now. They've got two players for, for every position. And they'll be paying a fair sum of money as well for, for these guys. Kiefer Moore was much sought after last summer. Todd Cantwell will be on a, a good contract, you would think, at Norwich. Dembele, not so much because he's coming from, from Peterborough you know, his first year up in the championship. But that's a big outlay, as you say. You won't be wanting to have these players on the books in the championship next season. But, I mean, it's been a pretty settled 4-3-3, hasn't it, for for Bournemouth, uh, 4-2-3-1. I wouldn't imagine he's going to pair Solanke with Kiefer Moore too many times. So it's just a a great option to have if Solanke needs a rest or if you want to go a little bit more direct towards tail end of games. Um, I mean, I was going to say Jack Stacey's not been in brilliant form, but I think recently he has improved a little bit. But Ethan Laird would be, you know, an obvious person to come in if he's um, off colour again. But no, it's a it's a phenomenally good looking squad now, and they have to get promoted. Really, uh, Forrest made a couple of moves as well. Dance they wanted Josh Bowler from Blackpool, couldn't quite get that done, or Jed Wallace from Millwall, but they did get Sam Surridge from Stoke and there was a bit of a kind of collective shrug of the shoulders from, from Forest supporters on this one because his goal record isn't great but but what he has got is a great relationship with Steve Cooper and we've seen how well that can work for players already at Forest and what a draw he is to, to players of Surridge's kind of vintage who will have worked with him at, at youth level uh, it looks like a fairly low risk move to me Yeah, what was it? Two million quid uh, to get him in and as you say managers they do tend to covet players they've worked with before because they, they know they've got a relationship and an understanding. So the, the the Swansea connection, yeah, that makes sense from Steve Cooper's point of view. I should imagine, though, you're just as happy, Matt, that Brennan Johnson is still Nottingham Forest player because there's another player that was being heavily linked with, with moves away. So from the point of view of the promotion push, because you're in it, um, you know, and, and properly in it, and you don't want to have what happened couple of years ago where you dropped out with the last kick of the game on final day uh, at the city ground to have somebody like yes all right I remember yeah <laughs> to have some, oh dear that's the nerve. Um, but to have someone like Brennan around that's big that's that that's that's big so you've got options now in the, in the way that we were just talking about with Bournemouth maybe not quite so many but the options are definitely there for, for Steve to push on I've got no problem in that Surridge deal that makes good sense to me yeah, particularly given Lewis Grabbin's going to be out for six weeks having got injured at Cardiff. They also got Jonathan Panzo in, Joe Worrell, uh, the Forest defender, out for a while. Panzo, ex-Chelsea, in from Dijon, so we'll see if he can cut the mustard. Uh, QPR also busy. Uh, they, they're submerging themselves in the Jeff Hendrick experience, although he's more of a more of a centre mid than a, than a little wing. Uh, um, that's a Jimi Hendrix joke, kids. Uh, Sam, you're pretty pleased. Fire. <laughs> hey, very good. Sam, you're pretty pleased with uh, with what Rangers have done overall and of course they've got the AFCON players to come back to. 
I am actually, yeah. I, I think the areas that needed strengthening, um, it, we'd all want another striker to, you know, guarantee that you're going to get into the playoffs or even better get one of those automatic positions. But I, I think there's a big outlay there already, isn't there, with Austin and and Gray and Dykes. Um, lads will be, again, on, on good salaries, um, high calibre players in, at championship level. But um, right wing back, Dion Sanderson could probably play there. Um, I think Adoma in good form at the moment, but certainly been a problem area for Rangers throughout the season. And Hendrick as well, to give you a bit more of a goal threat from the middle of the pitch. Vast experience. I think that's really good business, actually. And David Marshall, when when Dieng returns uh, and Archer's fit, three very good goalkeepers. So they've given themselves a they've given themselves a brilliant chance. I have to say, when I look at the clubs around Rangers right now, I think that the squad's as good as any. Um, Forest, I think, I'm impressed with what they've done. Actually, Matt, I thought that, you know three good signings they brought in during the window, so they'd be another one that I'd I'd highlight. And and down towards the bottom, I just thought Cardiff, kind of sensible business for for where they are right now. I thought this season was always always going to be about kind of Kiefer Moore, Ryan Giles. That seemed to be the combination early part of the season, and a lack of threat from elsewhere. I think they've they've kind of. Uh, gone some way to to rescue in that now you know with um Ikpiatsu, with Hugill, Alfie Doughty as well he was you know everyone was talking about him not so long ago so they've they've made a number of signings which I think you know, kind of solidifies them away from away from the danger zone. Elsewhere Fulham will be pleased to have kept Fabio Carvalho, uh, Jermaine Defoe's pleased to be back at Sunderland and Matty Longstaff scratching his head thinking hang on a minute I'm in League 2, I was a Premier League player a couple of weeks ago having gone from Newcastle to Mansfield. Uh, that is the end of the transfer chat for the foreseeable future. Next we'll look ahead to the key games coming up this weekend. This is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. A truncated championship this weekend due to the FA Cup. Just four games taking place, the first of which goes down in Birmingham on Friday night as Dan's beloved city take on Sheffield United. Um, so more protest planned before the game. What, what are supporters hoping to achieve with that and, and how realistic is, is the prospect of change within the club at the moment, do you think? Well, it doesn't appear particularly realistic at the moment, given that the club have said that that the owners, uh, BSHL, have said the club is not for sale. Um, they've reiterated that. There was already a, a march from Birmingham City Centre to the ground before the Barnsley game a couple of Saturdays ago. And there's another march similarly planned for Friday night. It's about a mile and a half walk from the Bull Ring round to St Andrews when you head through Digbeth. And that was about five or 600 strong for the Barnsley game. And there also there's also a protest planned where fans are going to be wearing these sort of white faceless masks that seem to have been distributed uh, as a, a, a criticism of the faceless nature of the BSHL collective, as they see it. The, the problem that Birmingham fans have is not with investment, not with the way that the team is being run by the management, by you know Lee Bowyer and technical director Craig Gardner and people like that. Their problem is with the, the, the faceless, nameless nature of the ownership, the fractured nature of the ownership strands, who owns what and what's their interest. And I know that the club has been spending money this week um, making the outside of the cop stand look a darn sight better than it has in recent times. They spent a few grand putting a, a, a mural on the outside of it, getting it all cleaned up. So there's evidence, Matt, that the, 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 the club is starting to listen to the noises off. But I'm not sure that, that you will see evidence of a protest on Friday night in the Sheffield United game. What effect that has and whether that nudges the needle of the ownership to do something that the fan, this large section of the fans want, which is for them to go, I'm not quite sure. And is what's happening off the pitch, is that kind of giving Lee Bowyer some cover and an excuse for what's been happening on it? Or is it just hamstringing him to the point where, you know, he can't coach the team as effectively as he would be able to, to do under better circumstances? Uh, promises were made to Lee Bowyer about finances that were not kept. Uh, you know, and most of the time, um, certainly last summer, it was all loans and frees. Uh, a bit of money has been spent clearly in this window. There have been a couple of loans that have come in. 
but obviously getting Juninho Bakuna from Rangers um, is a, a, a good capture. He was getting no football at Rangers, so it made sense for him to go somewhere. I think he was about seventh choice in their central midfield. Tahid Chong is about to return to the club, having gone back to Manchester United when he picked up a, an injury. And he'd been great for Birmingham for those few weeks uh, in the early part of the season. Had really been a catalyst for all the good stuff. So I don't... The fans certainly aren't whipping Lee Bowyer for where the club are. Uh, the, the issue really is with the, 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 the way that the club is being run. I don't see it as a smokescreen to allow Lee Bowyer to sort of escape criticism. The fans have been critical of some of the performances, don't get me wrong. Surrendering two goals to Derby last weekend is an annoyance, but they're not really whipping the management for that so much. There have been other performances, though, where they've been uh, less than satisfied. But no, they, they, Lee knows the job that he's he's got to do. And I think he's doing it to the very best of his abilities. And of course, he's got players back in like Lyle Taylor, who he knew from his Charlton days. And what do you know? Within quarter of an hour, he's got his first goal for the club in their match at Pride Park. And what about Sheffield United, Sam, coming into this one? Back-to-back 2-0 wins for them. Only lost one of nine. I wonder if that's good enough for a late run at the playoffs. And then you see that Rian Brewster is going to be out for, for a while with a, a significant hamstring injury, just as he was starting to, to finally find some form. Yeah, that, that's that's problematic. You've got McBurney, um, McGoldrick maybe to to fill that void. It's It's got the... I suppose the the look of the Sheffield United successful team from a few years ago with with Basham and and Egan Norwood and, and and Billy Sharp still plying their trade and it makes me you know think back to the reverse fixture between these two when when Dance you know just spoke about Chong there he was the the real difference between the two teams and you know I I don't think you can you can say how much you know Birmingham have missed him because I thought it was. I thought that was a performance in a period where Birmingham looked like they were going to be a bit more expansive and play, you know, more entertaining football. And I think his losses has actually, you know, meant this season has kind of reverted to type, if you like. But I think this will be in the mind of the the Sheffield United players before this one. And away from home, they pick up more points than they, they do at Bramall Lane this season, which is an interesting quirk. And yeah, I think they'll still have you know, hopes of getting in those playoffs and under Paul Heckingbottom, just one defeat. They should be, and the, the, I think the one the one defeat was at Derby um, when Tom Lawrence produced those two moments of magic. So it's been a, a decent spell for them and I think they'll be confident they can get, you know, another three points on the road here. Uh, in League One, the game that's caught our eyes, Morecambe against Bolton Wanderers. I mean, mainly because we didn't give Bolton any praise whatsoever, <laughs> even though they won 6-0 on Saturday because we were too busy talking about uh, Lee Johnson. Let's put that right now, Dan. It's eight goals in, in two games for them. Pretty routine win against Cambridge midweek. We spoke about Marmite earlier, which I think Ian Everett is very much a kind of uh, a metaphor for that. But he seemed to be getting a tune out of them at the moment. We were, we were wondering if they might get dragged into a relegation scrap. At least that's not a concern any longer, it would appear. Yeah, it looks a bit like sort of mid-table obscurity, unless, I mean, what are they, 38 points at the minute in the table and... Oxford and sixth on 50. So that's a, a big old margin to make up uh, for, for Bolton Wanderers. And it's not like they've got loads of games in hand like Wigan. I think that win against Cambridge was just as important. That could just as easily have been an after the Lord Mayor show performance from Bolton in midweek. But fair play to them to you know carry on the, the work that, that was clearly bore fruit against Sunderland. But there were two wins before that as well against Ipswich and Shrewsbury. So there's, he's doing something right there, Ian Everett. Uh, and uh, Mickey Gray, I spoke to him about that game because he was there on last Saturday for that Sunderland game. And he's, he did say, look, as embarrassing as Sunderland were, Bolton made them look embarrassing. So, yeah, fair play to, to Ian Everett and what he's doing there. Let, let's see if he can continue it and maybe just just worry those teams in 6th and 7th and 8th that they might have a a late dash for the playoffs. Our old friend Joe Crilly, that was for you. Hope you're well, Joe. Sam, you've got the unenviable task of talking about Morecambe um, whilst trying not to mention Cole Stockton. <laughs> yeah, well, Ayunga's doing really well at the moment. I keep saying on this podcast, because I tipped him up when he was playing for Bristol Rovers and not scoring any goals. So he's my man at the moment. But 
yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think they need to improve defensively to have a chance of staying in the division, irrelevant of how, I think, you know, how good on paper a younger Nahua and the, uh, the, the bloke I'm not allowed to mention, you know, that's a formidable, <laughs> that's a formidable trio. At that, at that level. But, you know, defensively, they've been pretty woeful this season. So that's where Steve Robinson needs to improve. Um, this game, at the tail end of last year, if you remember back, famously, Bolton went to Morecambe and won 1-0 uh, when they were both going for promotion. It was a, a bumper crowd, um, massive, vociferous away following from, from Bolton. So it, it should be, you know a decent game, a good attendance and, and Morecambe need to start, you know, picking up more points in these home games. But I think because they have the firepower, when you look at maybe Wimbledon, one of the teams around them in comparison, I don't see that at all. So if they can start keeping some clean sheets, then Morecambe could reel in Fleetwood. They could reel in probably not Lincoln because I think they'll probably turn a corner. Shrewsbury, another one. You know, I think... You know, goals at this stage of the season, they've got them in abundance and uh, and it should be clear what the game plan has to be moving forward. League two wise, the misery derby goes down at Glamford Park. It's Scunthorpe against Oldham, the bottom two in League two. We mentioned our friend Nancy Frostick earlier. She's written a, a really great piece on The Athletic about Scunthorpe and, and their troubles. Uh, some things I took from it that, that worried me greatly, Dance. Uh, one, one of the owner's sons, a former agent, has been made chief scout and is hanging around at training. Uh, Keith Hill told the BBC after a game last month, we're lacking quality, know-how and knowledge. Uh, other than that, though, plenty to be positive about. <laughs> I know, I've read that piece as well and it's an extraordinary tale of uh, a side that overspent, as the fans saw it, you know, when they were sort of flitting between League One and Championship days. And, and here they are about to, you know, potentially go out of the Football League for the very first time. The story that took me from Nancy's piece uh, that I read this morning was the bit about the disgruntlement of the fans leading to them locking a gate at Glanford Park. So the club had to use a tractor to break down the gate so that fans could get in to, to watch a game. I think that was the Forest Green match um, earlier in the campaign. Clearly, Peter Swan, is uh, the, uh, the, the, the owner, is the, at the centre of the, the eye of the storm for the, the supporters. I mean, it, Keith Hill, uh, he's the sort of manager I'd want in this situation to, if he can get them out of it, what is it, 18 games left now, They've got to make up an eight-point gap to those teams above them. I'm not sure whether they've got the quality. If they don't have the, what was it, the knowledge, the know-how and the intelligence. Is <laughs> that the three factors? Yeah. And quality, uh, yeah. And quality, yeah. So making up an eight-point gap's a bit of a struggle based on that. But boy, oh boy, yeah, you, you read that piece and, and every season there's a, a club towards the foot of League Two that leaves you open-mouthed as to how come they've, got in that position. But at the same time, somebody's got to finish bottom of League Two. Somebody's got to finish second bottom of League Two and drop into non-league. So everybody's got their tale to tell about how they've got themselves in that position. But let's be fair, Scunthorpe have been circling the plug hole for a, a good few seasons now, haven't they? What about Oldham, Sam? How's the uh, the latest sherification going for them. I know they brought in <laughs> Mike Fondop from Hartlepool. Not a big name, but a great name. Uh, you, you give them any hope of, of beating the drop? It's a tremendous name, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I don't, don't want to put it all on his shoulders, but you know the, the lack of attacking prowess and, and goals is, has been the, the huge problem for, for Oldham. I mean, nil-nil last time in Shez's first game against Rochdale. By all accounts, 2-0, 3-0 wouldn't have flattered Rochdale. They've obviously just lost Beasley to, to Blackpool. So they were fortunate that they got a point out of that. They did look better in different shape, 3-5-2. But he had Bambula and, and Davis as the two front players who were not front players, essentially. So to go and get someone that he knows, who's worked with him previously, knows what he's about, is very sensible. So you've got that element, I think. He got 10 in 30 appearances for, for Chesterfield. So he walked straight into the side. And what John Sheridan's got right now is a fan base that are behind him, that know how he works, um, which he didn't have at Swindon, clearly. Uh, and that went horribly wrong. So, you know, there's there's ingredients there, which I believe can make them rally, whether they're going to have enough quality 
irrelevant of who's in the dugout. We'll have to wait and see. But I mean, this game's going to be 1 0, isn't it? Oldham have scored six goals away from home, the lowest in the division. Scunny scored 10 at home. It's not going to be a goal fest. I think one one goal either way probably wins it. And Keyfield and John Sheridan, who, are, who, by the way, probably know each other very well, considering they spent, you know, large spells of their managerial career at Oldham and um, Rochdale, respectively. We'll take that all day long. They just need three points. Yeah, draw no good to either side there. Uh, right, high time. We've got producer Abby on to the pod. She's going to give us some odds on those games you just mentioned, courtesy of Paddy Power. Uh, we'll begin at Glanford Park there. Sam's just said 1-0 either way. Well, Scunthorpe are the favourites, 13-10. Oldham, 19-10. If you fancy a 1-0 to Scunthorpe, that's 13-2. If you fancy a 1-0 to Oldham, that's 17-2. The draw comes in at 23-10. Uh, we'll head upwards to uh, League One. And we were talking about Morecambe and Bolton. Uh, it's not surprising to hear Bolton the favourite six to five. Morecambe eleven to five, and the draw nine to four. And we've rounded it all up. And the championship on Friday night: Birmingham versus Sheffield United. Um, Sheffield United, uh, the away side, and the favourites in this one. They're eleven to ten. Birmingham thirteen to five. And if you fancy um, to put a little bit of money on uh, Sheffield United to make the uh, the playoffs, uh, that is five to six. So they are odds on to make that. Well, thanks, Abby. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. It's over 18s only. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. All right, it's the FA Cup this weekend. I'm going to read out some of the EFL-focused ties uh, and we'll try and predict the results. Abby has been frantically trying to come up with a name for this. Here are some of her suggestions. Emirate, my chance... We'll be asking, am I right? Two teams, one cup. Play your cups right. Play your cups, am right. And pointless. I mean, she does a great job and, and, and she's been recognised by the industry for her quality, but not a great moment there, uh, I've got to say, for our multi-talented <laughs> producer. Um, all right, Manchester United versus Borough. Any chance of an upset in that one, Dad? Uh, I'll wait till I see the team sheet. I'd have to plead the fifth on that one. Um, obviously, Spora has been a, a, a great uh, foil for Chris Wilder in, in, in his uh, work up front. Yeah, I mean, maybe they could, I mean, there's no replays. They could force extra time there, I think, up at Old Trafford. But it depends on, on what um, on what Ralph Rangnick does and whether he goes strong. I'll say that it could be Manchester United in the end, but I think Middlesbrough will take him all the way. Southampton Coventry looks interesting. Sam, again, it's all about the team selections, isn't it? Maybe Coventry will pick a weaker team than Southampton for this one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, quite possibly the most 90s football match of all time. Would we go go along with that? Battling it out at the Dell for survival on the last day. That must have happened. Um, Paul Telfer probably played for both of them. He he played for both in that in that fixture. They changed them at half time. Um, Peter and Love was Peter and Love was slaloming. Um, this is going to be a victory for Coventry. Wow. Okay. It's going to be a victory up. for Coventry. Yeah, I just think it, it probably. I mean, Coventry are going for a promotion as well. But yeah, I, I just think these these type of fixtures when they come around probably just mean a little bit more, maybe to the championship side. Um, so we'll see. 1-0 again. <laughs> Tough ask for Plymouth at Chelsea. Uh, Man City, Fulham dance. I mean, if City, I mean, they've always got a strong team whoever they play. If Fulham play their first team, this could be what, I don't know, 9-8 to City or something like that? <laughs> it, it'll, be, it'll be a very entertaining game to watch because the way Fulham go about their business is this lovely one and two touch stuff that they try to bring to the game. It's nice that Fabio Carvalho is still going to be a full and play at least at the end of the season. I, I, I you know, it, the die is cast in terms of him um, going elsewhere. But um, I've really enjoyed watching Fulham. I've seen them win seven 0 twice on the road this season at Blackburn and Reading. Can they make it three times at the Etihad with a seven 0 win? Actually, I'll probably say no on that one, and I, <laughs> I will gently suggest that they might end up on the end of a. A two or three one defeat. Yeah, which is not really that bad, is it? When you play in Manchester City. Uh, last of all, Sam, I'm going to this one. Forest against Leicester. Do you give my boys any chance here? Oh, a little bit bigger fish to fry again. 
But but yeah, yeah, no, I do. They had that victory over Arsenal, haven't they? And and Leicester haven't been convincing at all really this season. Seems to have been problem after problem for for them. So yeah, is that, I mean, how much is, does this mean to the Forest supporters, Matt? Is this full way into insignificance in comparison to the Derby game? It does, but it means more now that Leicester is significantly better than us and, uh, and have enjoyed a, a much more fruitful last 10 years or so, basically. So it all comes down to jealousy at the end of the day, doesn't it, football? Nothing, nothing stokes a rival. 2-1, two, one, two, one Forest. Like that. Okay, we'll take that. All right, that'll just about do it for today. Many thanks to Dance, to Sam and to Abby. Good news, listener. Joe Jacobson's back with us on Monday. Always great to have the Wickham captain on the podcast. Do join us for that, if you can. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.